Welcome to the Operation Miss Podcast, where we provide moms with tools to survive pregnancy and thrive postpartum. From healthcare providers and organizations to Miss Moms and moms who survive near-death complications, each conversation will equip moms to have a safer motherhood journey, whether preparing for pregnancy, currently pregnant, or recovering postpartum. It is our sincere prayer that all women who listen will leave with a missed mentality, one where she asks questions unashamedly so she can have what she needs to make an informed decision, where she has more trust in her body's design than she does in medical intervention, and where she allows her data to guide her lifestyle so she shows up to motherhood in her best health. Now, let's listen to today's episode. everybody what's up it's jessica here and today we have a very special episode for you hey Catherine, how are you i am doing fantastic good to see you good to see you too and so we have a special guest today dr zebron and she's going to introduce herself to you all and she has a lot to share to us today about her birth story and also what she's doing to help moms how are you today, Dr. Zebron? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for being here. So I just want to say I fell in love with Dr. Zebron when I saw a post about plant-based diets. And then I started going back and just looking at all of the amazing content that she had posted and knew that she needed to be on our podcast. So here she is. But she has such a wonderful story. And so just please start out by telling us a little bit about you and how you landed at Pelvic Floor PT or Women's Health PT, because now you do everything. So let's just say, how did you get to doing everything? <laughs> okay. Um, so my name is Dr. Allison Zebron. Um, I am a physical therapist. I do pelvic floor PT um, and different areas of physical therapy as well. I'm also a doula and holistic healer slash practitioner, um, plant-based lover, <laughs> um, and all of those things. Um, so how did I start with um, pelvic floor PT? Um, so that's kind of a long story. <laughs> but it all started kind of after my second birth. Um, so I have two sons. And after my second birth, which was kind of traumatic, um, an unplanned induction um, after that, I'm going through all of that, and the doctors didn't really explain what an induction was, and we can go into the birth story a little bit later, but after that, going through that, going through postpartum depression, anxiety, I'm just not recovering well, as I look back in hindsight, look, knowing what I know now, like, okay, I did not recover well, still recovering, um, and it was about six months after, um, I delivered my second son that I learned what a postpartum doula was. I knew what a birth doula was, but not quite sure what a postpartum doula was. And when I learned about that, I was like, wow, I wish I had that <laughs> <laughs> a couple months ago. Kind of, It wasn't too late at the time, but in my mind, I thought it was too late. So learning about what a postpartum doula was, how doulas help women 
Um, moms, after they give birth, they come to the house, they help out, they can hold the baby while you rest, help with breastfeeding and all of those different things. I really wanted to do something to help moms as well. So I wanted to become a postpartum doula. Through that journey of becoming a postpartum doula, I um, became a birth doula first. And then I was like, wow, I'm doing all of this. Like I already have a degree in physical therapy. I wish I can kind of use my degree to do something similar. And that's when I learned more about pelvic floor PT. And in school, at least my school back then, they didn't really teach a lot about pelvic floor PT. Mm-hmm. They kind of talked about incontinence and a little bit about biofeedback and said, oh, well, if you want to go into this more, take some continuing education after you graduate and you can kind of go into that. And at the time I was like, yeah, I don't really want to learn about this. <laughs> so, yeah. so I really didn't know as a physical therapist, I didn't really know much about pelvic floor physical therapy at all. So I was learning about, I was like, wow, I can do this. So <laughs> on a journey <laughs> to become a pelvic floor PT as I'm working on um, certifications to become a doula. So I did that in the midst of all of that. Um, I had a busy year. So in the <laughs> midst of all of that, I was working at a hospital and I was like, um, they also had an outpatient clinic. And I was like, well, why don't we just add pelvic floor PT to this clinic that already exists? I have the certification, like I could just do this here as well. So I ended up um, helping to set up a clinic at the hospital I was working at. Um, as I did doula work on this side. So that's kind of a little bit of how I became pelvic floor PT and a little bit of um, how I became a doula. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's still the same in PT school. They don't teach (laughs) much about it, at least not in my program anyway. It's definitely still, you know, you want to find out. But we're so glad that you did. And it's interesting that um, it kind of took you to have different like birthing experiences for you to decide that um, that's the realm of PT that you want to go in. I think that's a lot of people's stories. Mm-hmm. And and thinking of stories, I think this is a good segue into <laughs> your birth story. So if you want to tell us a little bit more about that um, second birth that you feel like was more traumatic. Okay, well, to tell the story about the first, the second birth, I kind of got to go back to the first birth. So I will kind of keep it short. (laughs) So my first son, um, and both of them were hospital births, vaginal births, um, just to have that in your mind. Um, So my first son, kind of typical pregnancy, a little bit pain here and there. Um, I didn't know anything at this point about pelvic floor PT, didn't know anything about doulas, kind of heard about them. I was like, what's the point? And I had, um, a midwife, which I'm so fortunate to have, to have had a midwife at the time and a good midwife, not just some random midwife, like actually a good midwife who was going to really take care of me for my first birth. Mm -hmm. Um, cause that kind of sets you up for your other births. So I had a really good midwife. I so thankful for her. Um, and so I go into labor naturally. So I labor at home. I'm doing all the things. Everything's going well. Um, I get to the hospital. My labor stalls and the midwives. And she actually brought in another midwife. So I had two midwives, mm-hmm. um, which is actually key for the second story. I had two midwives helping out. So one was kind of like overseeing the other one and one was helping with different positions. I had back labor, 
um, and they were helping me take changes different positions, try different things, like really being a good team and really advocating for me. Um, I didn't know this until after that my labor was taking, I guess, long quote unquote, um, and they were not considering a C-section, but like, eh, we don't know here, but good thing they never mentioned that to me because that would have just thrown me all the way off. Can, um, can I interrupt you for one minute and just ask when, because I love hearing about all the different position changes and things that they did. Okay. What did they consider stalled labor and how long did you, I guess, did you stay stalled um, before things started up again? Um, so I labored at home for 12 hours. I got to the hospital and I was seven centimeters. So I was like, oh, cat, he's wow. coming. No, the baby didn't come that okay. quickly. It was another 10, I can't do math right now, eight hours maybe. Um, another eight hours of just really laboring. I had back, so a lot of pain um, with every, every single contraction, a lot of pain. Um, they had me in the pool. They had me doing every kind of position on the toilet, on the birth ball, with the peanut ball hands and knees, wow. using the ball, like using the bar, like squat, everything, everything. And so at one point, and I'm getting tired because I was laboring at home all night long and then getting into the hospital. So I hadn't eaten, um, hadn't really drinking anything. They were giving me things, but I was just like, just in the zone, just didn't want to mm. drink much, which I should have because I became dehydrated. But um I don't know why they considered it stall because my labor was under 24 hours. Okay. But um, good thing. Well, that background helps because you stayed at home for 12 of the hours. So yeah. if you had gone in, what mm -hmm. we noticed is that if you go in right at the beginning, then after that 12th hour, you probably would have been hearing somebody talking about a C-section. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. So cool. I was like, I labored as long as I could. And I was like, okay, this is getting too painful. And I had stairs. So I had to go down the stairs. Like it was... I labored as long, I could have had the baby at home. I labored as long as possible. But then I got to the hospital and I stalled. I was like, oh, and I, I see that as common as well, mm -hmm. that a lot of people labor at home. And as soon as they get in that car, they drive over to the hospital. And they're like, what happened? And it's kind of, that's a whole nother story of just being yeah. able to labor in place wherever you are, but that's not everyone's story mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, but yeah, so I labored for a while and I think I got to either like nine, so somewhere close to like, I should be able to start pushing that, but I didn't feel the urge to push. So they said, well, just try anyway, just try. And I didn't take any labor classes that involved pushing. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't know what it was supposed to feel like. Obviously it's my first birth and no one had told me. So they're like, don't you feel like you need to push? And I was like, no. <laughs> and just like this voice like right here, I was like, no. Not really. They're like, okay, well, let's try to push. And I'm pushing. And they're like, no, no, like that. And I'm like, well, explain it differently. Cause I don't know. Like, and I was pushing for hours. Um, and I don't have the exact amount of hours because my husband forgot to like look at the clock. So it was hours. Um, so at one point, like they, they were also getting frustrated because there was time I was pushing, but not pushing right. And I'm getting tired, and it's like the baby's right there. So they're like, we don't know what else to do or how to explain it. So eventually, I don't know what I did. I just pushed a different way. And then they're like, yeah, like that. And I was like, like that? And how I was pushing, it was like how you 
kind of need to have a bowel movement. So I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of got the idea. They were like, yeah, it's much like that. And after a while, the baby just came out. Um, so I delivered my first son. Midwives were great. Everything was fine for the most part to keep that short. So that was kind of like my first birth. So going into the second birth, I'm thinking like, okay, it's going to be similar, right? No. <laughs> no. Not at all. Not at all. Because once again, I was like, well, I, at the first time I had two midwives or I had a midwife, like that's how it's going to go. Midwives are like this. This is what I had. This is what's going to happen with every other midwife. No. So, so in my mind, I was like, well, why do I need a doula? If like I had this setup, the two midwives, I kind of had one doing one thing and one was able to, you know, tend to me and as a doula kind of would. So in my mind, I was like, what do I need a doula for? So I didn't have a birth doula once again for this next birth. And it was also a hospital birth. Um, so how this one started, I had a regular checkup. I was 39 weeks. Um, and throughout this pregnancy, they were kind of saying, like, oh, your baby's kind of small. Your baby's kind of small. Um, eat this or eat that. Um, and they, a couple of other things. But I really didn't, they never really explained anything, which is why you should have a <laughs> to help explain those things or take a class so you are more informed because a lot of the providers, even if it is a midwife, if you don't ask the right question, they may just assume that you know or not have time to explain things, especially if you also have a doctor, which I had to see under this midwife because she was like, oh no, you have to see the doctor because we're under doctors and you have to, to see her for this visit or something. So I was like, okay, whatever. So I go into a routine visit, 39 weeks, everything's fine. And the doctor's like, oh, well, they said your baby's small. Let's just do a little ultrasound in the office. I'm like, okay. She does all the She's like, well, your baby does look kind of small and I can't really measure the fluid. And, you know, how, how about, how do you feel about seeing your baby today? I'm like, what? Like, what, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah, can't measure this fluid. Something, something looks a little off. They just keep saying your baby's small. Yeah, I'm like, let's just do an induction. I was like, what? Today, she was like, yeah, uh, can you make it to the hospital like an hour? I was like, what? Wait, <laughs> wait, wait. Yeah, because yeah, so, we heard the opposite, haven't we, Jessica? They say your baby big. Let's get in this. So, <laughs> so was this your first time seeing this doctor? I saw her, I think, once before or something like that. But it was, you know, it was like in and out, real quick. Like, oh, let's measure. Herbie looks good. All right, you have any questions? Like in and out, kind of thing. So okay. this time, I guess she saw like the ultrasound or something and wanted to do like one herself. And she was like, no, no, this doesn't look right to me. Let's, let's do an induction today. And I was like, what? Oh, okay. So it was like, and at this point, like you go in thinking like, you know, just gonna sit down, just gonna measure heartbeat, I'm out of there. Yes. I did not plan to have a baby <laughs> in an hour. And that's how she, and once again, did not explain anything. And once again, I didn't have a childbirth class, did not have a doula, did not read up on anything. I thought it was going to go like the first time. So I didn't really know what an induction was. Yeah. I kind of, I knew it involved pistosis. I know it was going to start my labor. I know it was going to be more painful. That was about it. So when she just said that and kind of like, all right, well, I'll get to the hospital when you can tonight. And 
see you later. And she kind of left, left. And I was just in so many emotions, shocked. I'm like, is my baby okay? Am I okay? She didn't explain anything really. And I'm just like, just in, literally in shock, just walking out like deer in headlights, have, having no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. Is my baby okay or not? Because she made it seem like it's not okay, but I feel like he's okay. But they say it's not okay. So they, they're the professionals. They know. Wow. But I all along, I felt like my baby was fine, but no one really cared how I felt. Mm. Um, so, of course, um, walking back to my car in shock, I'm like, I have so many things to prepare for. I have to go to the hospital. I have another son. I have to get the babysitter. Yes. So my husband, I have to pack my bag. I'm not ready. What's an induction? <laughs> What's an induction? <laughs> right? So fast forward, you get to the hospital and then get to the hospital and this, it just gets worse. I'm going to try to sum it up. It gets worse. I get to the hospital. One, it's not an emergency because I still have to wait. So it's not an emergency. I get there. I still got to wait. Got to wait for the room. Someone else is giving mm -hmm. labor. There's not another room. So I'm sitting in the waiting room. I'm like, okay. They finally let us in. And then they're like, oh, I'll sign these papers. Uh, we got to start an IV. And then, well, we got to get the stuff for the Pitocin. And then they're like, oh, we have to do saline. We have to like do this. And do I'm like, but I, why do I need that? They're like, oh, it's routine. It's routine. We have to do this. I'm like, okay. And this is already not going the way my first birth went. Yeah. Don't have wait, a do. Paul, Paul, I'm sorry. Is this the same hospital? No, no. Different hospital. Okay. Different hospital. I have no idea what's going on. My, if I don't know what's going on, my husband doesn't know what's going on. So he's right. over there like, not helping. You can't really help. <laughs> you have no idea. If I have no idea, you have no idea. So I'm like, I'm just all in my head, all in my emotions. I have no idea what's going on. They're starting to put the, no, they're trying to get everything ready. Still hours going by. This is not an emergency in my yeah. mind. Um, and mind you, since I didn't know what an induction was, I ate a little bit in my rush to get to the hospital. But I'm thinking like, oh, you know, the baby will come tonight. So I didn't really eat. So I got there and then I was like, man, I'm starting to get really hungry. And then they were like, you can't eat. You're about to have this induction or something like that. And my the midwife, she um that had been seeing me comes in and she's like, Oh, how you feeling? I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> you know, and then I was like, Well, I'm kind of hungry. And she's like, um, well, yeah, you can eat because this is gonna take a while. I was like, wait, what? What's what? <laughs> I'll go with her recommendation, right? I'm eating. She's like, yeah, inductions take like 12, 24 hours. I was like, what? No one told me. They're like, oh, well, yeah. So that you can definitely eat. Why don't you eat? Have her eat. Have her eat. Thank you. Wait, wait, wait. So the confusion is frustrating, right? But do you know what I think? Because I've been to a childbirth class. I've been to a couple. And the only one who talked with me about what an induction was and what it would look like was when I went to a doula. Mm -hmm. So I think that with the frequency with mm -hmm. which doctors recommend inductions, you would think that the childbirth classes would include in depth what's going to happen mm -hmm. and what natural alternatives are available mm -hmm. to inductions. Because when you said, you know, I knew it would involve Pitocin. For me, I had a natural induction. I had no Pitocin. Mm -hmm. So it's like people don't even realize that those are options, but they should. There is nipple stimulation. Obviously, there is sex, which they they say, 
you know, well, we don't know if it works or not, but it's like if prostaglandins, it's something to try. And if all you're needing is the prostaglandins, which come out of the semen, then why not just dose sex? That's the problem is that nobody's dosing it. So if you just try it one time and it doesn't work, then you're like, oh, it doesn't work. Right? But they- There's a business. Exactly. We can't make money off of you. (laughs) It's so true. Can't make money off of you. You telling the truth. So, so I just, I think so we can do something to you. Like it's medical. We got to do something. So that's what they're trained to do. Yes. I get that. But for me, who had no idea what was going on. So I finally ate, they got the Pitocin started. Um, And I actually went pretty quick. Like it was six hours, six, about six hours later that I had my first contraction. So I was kind of, in my mind, like, well, looking back, I'm like, well, I could have probably just waited and went into labor on my own. So why can and I was 39 weeks. So I was like, well, why can't I just wait a week? And the doctor was like, no, 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 we need to do this now. But I'm like, can we wait a couple of days? Can we try something? She was like, she was not having it. Um, So yeah, had to induct, had the Pitocin. That started six hours later, first contraction. And then it was like three hours of labor, baby was out. Wow. Just like that. So very painfully, <laughs> very painfully. But yeah, and I labored with no medicine, both births. Very, I don't, yeah, very painful. But yeah, did all that, baby was out. Um, oh, one other thing was that with Pitocin, they want to constantly monitor the baby. So they have you wear the fetal monitor. Mm-hmm. They would have done the portable one, but it kept moving when I was trying to change positions. So they said, sorry, we can't do the portable one. We have to do the, you have to be constantly hooked up to the machine. So you cannot move. You have to stay in the bed. So that also added difficulty for yeah. my labor. Also made it more traumatic because I'm like, okay, this is not going at all how my first one went, I don't like this. I can't even move. I can't even do the positions that I knew helped me in my first labor. I have no one else in the room but me and my husband, but I know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) But me, Um, he's being helpful as he can, but it's me me and I, I can't do the positions that I need. So I'm just laying in the bed. And like every, even if I'm moving in the bed like a little too much, they like they would pop their head and move. Stop moving! We can't mm-hmm. see the bed. We can't. I'm like, oh my gosh! So that just ended up just just more, just more levels and more layers to like how I would never have another hospital birth wow. if I can avoid it. So those were my birth stories. Yeah. So so. Y- and this is this is interesting to hear that second story because my when you said a traumatic birth experience, and this is just from talking to other moms, I assumed that it was gonna be like I had an emergency C section, I had a third degree tear, like all of those things. Terrible, yeah. But. Okay. <laughs> so, with you, it was kind of like just the shock and abruptness shock. of everything and the three well the 180 switch between your first and your second just the birth experience you know the birth experience yeah so that's also to give awareness to others out there that even if it didn't go how you planned it can still be traumatic in a way even emotionally because you have your your mind set up it's going to go like this or people are talking to you like they're they're just 
not explaining anything and now you're having more fear. Fear is also traumatic. So it doesn't have to be this drastic thing that you have an emergency C-section and, and all of these things, but even just emotionally mm -hmm. um, from even just like how you said, like not going as expected, un unplanned um, and things like that. So, yeah. And, and I just, the sad part is that you tried to advocate for yourself. Can I go home and labor? Can I wait a couple of days? Okay, wait, my baby's small. Is that bad? Is that good? like you ask the questions because that's what we try to get our moms to do. Ask the questions, advocate for yourselves. But it's almost like once you're in the system, you're stuck. And that's that's a scary, that's a very scary situation to be in. It is. And I felt like at one point I just stopped talking to the nurses because they would pop their head and say, stop moving. Mm -hmm. And then I would just say to myself, like, man, this is really not going how my first birth went, whatever nurse was in there, you know, fiddling around with, they were like, well, this is not your first birth. Okay. I'm like, I never said anything else. I was like, these ooh, people ooh. said a lot. Exactly. Right. That's the problem. <laughs> but I, I understand not wanting to, cause it's like, like Catherine says, you're kind of like in their hands at that point and you almost feel trapped. Yes. And like, we always say like your birth, your healthcare in general should happen through you and not to you. And it Ooh. sounded like the first experience happened through you, you were moving freely. And the second one, it definitely sounds like it happened to you. Like mm -hmm. all this stuff was happening. It's about you and your baby, but it still happened like happening around you. It's like, happening around me. And I felt like it was like an outer body oh. thing. Like once they said, you need to have an induction today, I was just like out of it. I was just like, I need to get back to my other well, side. I need to do this. I need to, what's happening. I'm all in my head and no one's explaining anything to me. So I'm kind of like breaking down internally, but trying to stay focused because I got to go into labor and labor this baby. Yeah. All of these things are swirling in my mind and I don't know how to process it. Um, in general, I, I take I take time to process things. I can't process all the time in the moment. I need to just like now I'm reflecting. It takes time for me to reflect like, oh, wow, wait a minute. That wasn't good. <laughs> Yeah, that the things that they were saying to you, that wasn't how it should have been. They weren't really yeah. nice. They should have taken the time. If someone just took time to say, hey, are you okay? Have you had an induction before? Mm -mm -mm. No, I would have like calmed down a little bit if someone just took five seconds to yes. say, check in. I know the nurses in the hospitals are busy. I know you probably see this all the time, but maybe I haven't and maybe explain what's going to happen and how long it's going to take and things to expect. And yeah, yes. it's nighttime. So why don't you sleep a little bit? Because once you wake up, you can have your, you start the contractions maybe and things like that. And I would have calmed down like, okay, all right. Yeah. It's not like the first time, but okay, this is what we're dealing with now, but that's yeah. not how it happened. <laughs> I think this is a good you said a lot of good things and mm -hmm. what was brought to my attention is that this was your second experience so you had something to compare it to mm -hmm. to say that this was not right but a lot of times your second experience it is other moms first experience mm -hmm. and yes. so some some women will normalize that and have lower expectations for the next birth and other ones will hold on to that trauma and be afraid to even go for the next birth. Yes. So I, I think this is a really good time for in this podcast to save anybody who is listening who had a traumatic birth experience and maybe didn't realize that before. But after listening to um, Dr. Zebron's story and realizing that 
your birth experience may have been traumatic, even though it wasn't an emergency C-section or some big life-threatening situation, mentally and emotionally, it was traumatic. If you need to pause and take a break, we learned this from uh, one of our other ladies that we interviewed, but if you need to pause at this moment and take a break and process those feelings that you may have been internalizing, this is the perfect time to do so. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's move on and let's talk about how you feel obstetrics and PT kind of go hand in hand. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's something else that's not taught in schools as well or gone over in schools because we, I think a lot of times people think like birth is medical. Oh, that's for the OBGYN. That's it. That's their thing, the nurse's thing. No one else does deals with that at all in the birth room. Yeah. Um, but becoming a public floor PT, learning so much more about um, our bodies and how they work. And we as movement specialists and safety specialists and just all of that, we can apply so much knowledge in the birth room um, with changing positions. Um, if someone has a stalled labor, why don't we try this? Or even pain management, um, all of that goes in that we do as physical therapists. And I think that can um, be very helpful to women in the birth room. Now, do you have experience doing that? Not in the birth room. No. Okay. No, because I no, love there's a whole group of people who do that, but it's also hard to get into because you also have to convince the people in obstetrics who are doctors yes. that this is valuable and it's very hard to do that because that is their that's their thing. That's their baby. Um to have other people in the room. It's already hard enough to get doulas in the room. Yeah. So, okay. Yes, Someone but you're so like, right. Too many people for them. It's just a lot of people. Like, why is that so many? Well, it's a lot of people. So they invite their room. students to come watch us deliver our babies because mm-hmm. there are people who are really in the in the groove. And then they're like, "Oh, do you mind if uh, ten students come and watch this baby come out?" And it's like, "Oh, yeah, I guess that's fine. You're you're pushing at this point. I don't care who comes in." But it's it's like you don't want people in the room who can hold you accountable. That's how I feel. And there are some, there are very few, yeah, that will let you do that. And I know that when I was a student, nobody had an issue with me coming to watch anything. But as a PT, it is few and far between. I know that Jessica has met someone who allows procedures to be watched and things like that, but I, I have not. So I'm going to keep looking, but I just feel like we could learn so much more about what's going on with C-sections if we actually got to watch one take place, right? Mm -hmm. And as students, you have to create that experience for yourself or you're going to miss the boat and then you start becoming someone who can't be trusted in the the OR. So Mm -hmm. that's all I'll say about that. But I think that your ideas are amazing. So, you know, I, I love that you're in this space with women. So tell us about, so, you know, I'm in love with the whole plant-based thing. You have a lot of things going on with moms, but can you talk with us a little bit about how you make moms' journeys safer by intervening with their diets? Yes. Um, so I, I'll start by saying, like, I started um, incorporating a plant-based diet about two years ago myself because of just health issues and just not knowing what's going on, going to the doctor, and they're like, I don't know. You seem fine. Maybe you can try whatever you want, or your blood levels look okay. Like there's nothing really, there's nothing really going on. But I knew something was going on because I don't feel right. So 
I tried whatever they said to try. And I, I tried changing my diet to like anti-inflammatory, which still included like some fish and um, things like that. But something still wasn't right. So it was after becoming like pescatarian. I was like, you know what? As something's still off, why don't I just try not having meat at all, which was like crazy at the time. I was like, well, why not just try it? Why not go like a month or whatever without having it? And I was like, but isn't that like a vegan? I'm not really vegan. Like what? Like what? Um, so I was looking it up. I was like, but I really just want to eat more plants. I just want to eat healthier and take out the meat as well. So I kind of just Googled. I don't know why I needed a name, but I needed a name other than <laughs> vegan. I was like, is there anything else that sounds like that? And then plant-based came up. I was like, what's plant-based? Um, and this is two years ago. Um, I was like, what's plant-based? And I was just reading up on it, how it just incorporates whole foods, mostly plants. Um, it doesn't include meat or animal products. And just hearing that it's um, kind of focused mostly on health. Um, and obviously veganism incorporates just the entire lifestyle. They don't wear anything with animal products. They don't associate with anything animal products. It's like all in inclusive, but I was at the time mostly there for my health. So I found whole food plant-based. I started eating that, um, went on a little journey with that. Of course, there's bumps in the road with any transition. But once I found my way, found my routine um, in that and had the toxins leave my body, um, mm -hmm. I was feeling 100% better. All the symptoms that I felt um, and pains all over my body went away. So I was like, this is what I needed. Constipation, gone. I was like, the doctors couldn't explain it. All they had to do was tell me to eat some whole foods. And that really helped me out a lot. Uh, helped me out a lot. I even saw like a pelvic floor therapist who didn't share anything about plant-based foods. Um, and as a pelvic floor uh, therapist, I always even just say a little bit like, hey, how's your diet? Like I, even a sentence or a minute, I just talk about, hey, how's your diet? Even if we're not having, we're not doing anything with the diet that came in for something else. I always, even if it's incontinence, I always say, even though we do talk about liquids that um, affect incontinence, but I do also incorporate, hey, what else are you eating? Oh, okay. Well, have you tried this now? And I don't push it too much. We got other things to talk about, but um, I do also talk about that. So finding healing um, through a plant-based diet, and this was still postpartum. This is only two years ago that I started this. My youngest is three. So still um, in that postpartum season, I always say postpartum is not just the first six weeks, it's years after. So still kind of early in this postpartum season, found healing. So I wanted to help other women and other moms have this healing as well. This could help me. This can help somebody else too. And even those that I helped in my public floor clients, even just adding in like a kale smoothie. They were like, yeah, wow, I'm going a little bit more regularly now. I don't have to take the stool softeners. I'm like, yes, keep doing that. So even just a little thing like that, we were still doing exercises and all these other things, just adding that in made them feel so much better. And they weren't even all the way plant-based. They just added in a smoothie with some kale in it. Um, so just seeing the results with that, I felt like, wow, I can go a little bit further with this. Um, so just reading up a little bit more about plant-based um, diets and lifestyles. Um, I just started helping women, even if they weren't my clients in pelvic floor, just regular women like you and me. I'm like, hey, who wants to learn more about uh, plant-based diets? Are you having issues with constipation? Are you having 
you're just not feeling generally well. You want to try something different. Um, and I would just have consults with women and, and they would just bring their questions and saying, hey, what's this? I've tried this, but can I try this? Or what does this look like? Do you have a recipe for that? And we would just talk just like how you and me are talking and then they can go on and continue their journey because it's not an overnight thing at all. It takes time to transition from years of eating, however you are eating, to eating something else that's going to, you're going to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And we love that because what we found, you know, we monitor moms and we look at their stress levels is that whenever they incorporate plant-based diets, their stress levels go down dramatically. Mm-hmm. Their blood pressure goes down dramatically. And so we know that preeclampsia is a thing. High blood pressure during pregnancy is an mm-hmm. issue. Some women end up with complications from those. Mm-hmm. And I know that for you, you also believe like us that if people incorporated the plant-based diets before they got pregnant, oh my goodness, how much less stressful would their pregnancies be? How many yeah. less complications would they run into? Um, and so it's, it's really nice just to hear you and how it's transformed you because sometimes it really is hard in the medical industry if you don't have a metric to put to it, mm-hmm. then you can't say, okay, is this good or bad? But for mm-hmm. us, it's how do you feel? Mm-hmm. A lot of things with pregnancy is a feeling. You mm-hmm. feel like something is off or you feel like something is good or something just feels different. Can you help me investigate? And if you don't have someone who will investigate with you, then you end up either ignoring the symptom or running in, and then running into a complication. Or sometimes mm-hmm. you don't run into a complication. So then you become, it becomes okay that people are ignoring your symptoms. And it's never okay. It's just that you haven't run into a complication yet. Mm-hmm. So I just love that, you know, your approach to figuring it out yourself mm-hmm. and now helping other moms. We just think that's amazing. Yeah. So to also go with that, you talked about a little bit about preeclampsia. So moms, um, anyone trying to get pregnant, anyone who is pregnant or even postpartum, preeclampsia is a real thing and it's life-threatening. And that's one of the number one killers um, especially for black women. So it's not just, so it postpartum, not just that six weeks, um, and not just only in pregnancy is something to always look out for, um, as you're trying to take care of your baby. So if you already have this plant-based diet already in your system, it's already there. You don't really have to worry about trying to change your diet as you're trying to take care of a, ba- a newborn baby or trying to take care of yourself afterwards. You already have the diet in place. You can just modify it a little bit. And I go into more depth in my consults about that, uh, about what you should be eating quickly after um, po- after you um, have your baby. So preeclampsia is a big one. Gestational diabetes is a big mm-hmm. one. Um, what else is a big one? And even not just for the mom herself, the baby that she's carrying. So all of whatever you're eating, that's going to the baby. So you want to, this is like a sacred time for you and baby. You want to make sure what you're feeding yourself and your baby is going to be the best for your baby. So figuring that out because um, you're not also trying to prevent diseases and things in yourself. Also the baby as well. It shows that um, like a meat-based diet or this American diet can lead to asthma in childhood. It can lead to type one diabetes in childhood, which is not reversible. Um, it can lead to so many other things, early puberty, cancers, um, and all of that. So it's so many things. It's so many things that um, just simply just 
changing your diet. Um, it's not simple, but just trying to incorporate something new earlier on, it's going to be more routine and easier later. No, I love what you said, because most of the time, if a mom says, okay, I'll have an induction like you, you didn't even know what one was, but you said, okay, because you're saying that something could be wrong with my baby. So that's what moms do. It is a natural instinct that you want to protect your child. So I feel like if we flip that idea though on its head and say, okay, eating well is also good for your child. Mm -hmm. So why don't we just try it? Because then, but you do have some resistance with moms like, I don't want to change what I'm doing. I'm used to eating this way. Or, you know, they are very far along in their pregnancy when they find out about the preeclampsia. So then it's hard to incorporate changes okay. or they can't keep anything down. So they're just trying to eat what they can. And that happens to be a steak. And so it's like, if they learn beforehand and then they start practicing it, then it, even if, then if they have to switch, then it's not that big of a transition. Mm -hmm. Because what we are finding is that when mom comes to us between pregnancies, we're really able to help them get prepared for that next pregnancy. But someone called me just two days ago and it was really sad. They said that the lady's daughter had her first baby at 26 weeks because she had preeclampsia and they couldn't control it. Aww. So this pregnancy, well, she didn't do anything differently from the first pregnancy to the second pregnancy. And now she's at 26 weeks and she's run back into preeclampsia and they're going to deliver her baby in two weeks. So it's like, there is so much that could have been done between mm. the first and the second pregnancy. And things like when you say, you know, it is hard, it is hard to make a change, but it's also, it could also save your life. And it can yeah. save your baby's life. So mm -hmm. it's so worth the, it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the earlier you start, you can make small changes. Obviously you don't have to go cold turkey, throw everything out in your kitchen and, you know, get everything new if you just make small changes one meal out of the day i'm like okay that's not so bad i can repeat that the next day and so going like that can take time which is why it's better to start earlier getting um this new routine in your life so it's just clockwork you don't even think about it like yeah this is what i eat just like how whatever you're eating now you don't think about it you're like yeah this is what i eat so um and it's not only about um, what you eat is everything that you put inside your body, what you're drinking, your goes down to your, what you're having medicines and um, what you're putting on your body. Your skin yeah. is the largest organ, the lotions that you're using, the perfumes that you're using. And it's going to be very overwhelming, which is why you don't do everything at once. It's like a slow, gradual change. You learn another thing like, oh, I didn't know about this. Okay, the next time this bottle runs out, I'm going to get a different lotion or I'm going to get, I'm going to switch to coconut oil or something like that. Um, so it's everything, your environment. I go And I talk a lot about this um, in the consults that I go, um, that I do, that it's not only what you eat, it's what you put in your body, um, put on your body, um, candles and all of those types of things, the toxins that are in the environment. So wow. do you have any examples of moms that you've helped recently, whether it's like pelvic floor PT or helping with their diet? Um, yeah. So one mom, uh, she was pregnant and she wanted to incorporate more of a plant-based diet. Um, and I told her like kind of the same things that um, we're talking about here today, that it you can go slow. What questions do you have? Um, and she just wanted like other recipes that she can use. Um, how can she make this like a long lasting thing. Um, and she was kind of on the fence at the time, but she had already had some plant-based meals, she already made some. So I was like, well, use what you have. 
So if you already made, let's say this oatmeal for breakfast, then try to make that a couple times a week. So that is in your um, routine things that you make and that can, you can just keep on eating that and just go gradually to you. So I was just kind of encouraging her that once again, it doesn't have to be like a big switch throw everything out of your kitchen, throw out all your cleaning products and lotions and just spend a million dollars buying everything mm-hmm. at once. Just go slow. Like, even me, I'm still like, I still have products. I'm like, oh yeah, I should really change that. <laughs> or I still have um, other things that, you know, it's not the best thing to use, but it's a gradual process. So I was just encouraging her that way. And she felt a little bit better. Obviously, she was occupied with her pregnancy, which is why we always recommend starting before your pregnancy, because it's a lot. It's a lot of change is hard. Change is hard and change is hard to stick with, um, especially if you're going to get distracted with being pregnant or other things. Um, so, So I was just encouraging her. That sounds so wonderful. Now, for people who don't have ideas, do you happen to have any books that they might be interested in? Yes, I do have a plant-based uh, postpartum cookbook. It's like a mini book uh, full of uh, a couple of different recipes that you can use postpartum. It's best for someone else to cook these because um, some of them are a little bit in-depth and you don't need to be heavy doing heavy cooking or boiling beans and things like that. After you just gave birth to a baby, this is for like families to make or things that you can make beforehand or something like that. Um, it's a mini cookbook, and I do want to update it um, to include a lot of the things that I've learned um, up until this point. So I'm working on an updated version to this cookbook, which will take some time. It's my own pregnancy. <laughs> but I will have that um, hopefully at some point this year, and I will let you guys know about that. But in terms of the one that I have out now, it's on Etsy, um, and I can share that link today. And um, I think... I can also give out one to the someone who's listening, a free one uh, to someone who's listening. Yeah. So I was like, can I do that? Yeah. <laughs> I want to give one away so you guys can pick the the um, person and I'll send We that. are absolutely. We're going to pick the first person to um, comment on this podcast, whether it's on Spotify, Apple, wherever. And it has to be somebody who is subscribed to us and liking the episodes. Okay. I have, actually, I have two things to give away. Ooh. I'm feeling generous. Yes. <laughs> I was like, what? And it's recorded too, girl. So we are <laughs> So I want to give one cookbook away, uh, one mini uh, recipe book away. And I want to give one, con- one plant-based consult away. So so two different ones, two different people. Can't get all the goods to yourself. Two different people. One gets the cookbook, <laughs> one gets the um, consult. So you guys pick and then let me know. And I'll set up the time separately with the person. But yeah. Thank so you so much. Yeah. This might be our first like podcast giveaway. I'm excited about oh, this. It Give it away. Give it away. <laughs> I love I love helping. I love helping moms and women and even for the cookbook. I mean, anyone can use the recipes. It's just food. It's just food. So anyone can eat it. It's just more thing, warming foods that um, moms should eat after, after birth. So we love that. And you just spilled the beans. I wasn't going to say anything online, but since um, I know we're wrapping up and we normally ask what advice you would give to a mom uh, who is expecting, but I think what I want to know is, 
what are you going to do differently with this next delivery? Because in the way you tell stories and in the way you talk, I think a lot of women will learn from this too. So what are you planning to do differently this time? Or what have you done differently to prepare? Well, I already have done my plant-based diet. I'm already in my routine. So I didn't just start this and I'm like, okay, what do I cook? How do I cook this? What do I like to eat? Um, now I'm not trying out different recipes necessarily. Um, I already have a bunch of things that I like. Um, I'm always adding in new, new things, but I already have my plant-based diet. I already feel much better in this pregnancy um, than all of the others. And I already have all the knowledge of the birth classes that I teach. I already have the pelvic floor knowledge. So if I have any ache or pain, I know how to fix it. So yeah. things like that. So I already have all of this in my toolbox. I already have anxiety tools that I can use. All of the things that I teach my moms. Um, so I'm already doing all of those things differently. Um, but one other, one new thing that I'm going to do is actually get a doula. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm actually going to get the doula this time. Doulas <laughs> need doulas too, right? Doulas need yeah. doulas. Therapists need therapists. Yes. Moms need moms. Moms need a village. Amen. We cannot do it all on our own. And that's something that we, we easily suffer from in this modern society that we're just alone, alone, either just emotionally alone. We just feel alone. Even though there's people around us, we don't feel like anyone knows what how to help us. So just finding that village, um, that's going to be what I do. And I'm also going to rest. I'm going to take those 40 days, literally. <laughs> Some cultures, you don't get out of the bed for 40 days. I'm not, I don't think I can do that, but I will definitely be resting. I will definitely not be cooking. <laughs> I will definitely find the help that I need and rest as much as possible, um, as well as have that doula. Um, and yeah, I keep on doing my plant-based diet. That's what I'll do differently. Wow. We're proud of you. <laughs> and congratulations. And we are praying for such a happy, healthy birthing experience and new baby for you. Yes, and yes, yes, yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Dr. Zebron, can you let our listeners know how they can stay connected with you? Yes. Uh, so I have, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. On Instagram, I am the birth PT. And you can also email me at thebirthpt.com. Um, yeah, Instagram, pretty much it. I'm also on Facebook. Um, the Birth PT is my business page. So both of those. So thebirthpt at gmail.com if you want to speak with this lovely doctor. And I just love the tag. Don't you love the tag? You are the birth PT. I'm like, <laughs> blame it, girl. It is serious. I like it to the point. Yes. yes. Thank you. No, thank you for coming on. We are so grateful that you did. It is, we have learned so much and we know our listeners will learn a lot too. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll keep in touch. Okay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Operation Miss podcast. It is our hope that you leave this conversation showered with love and empowered to live. If you are interested in being a part of Operation Miss, 
please head to operationmist.org to learn more about who we are, what we do, and how we can serve you.